0: where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Friday, March 6th, we are studying Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 through 15. Jesus has finished his fourth discourse in the Gospel of Matthew. Now his journey takes him south, closer to Jerusalem. Even as his ministry there continues, the Pharisees confront him yet again in order to test him, this time concerning what God's Word has to say about matters of marriage and divorce. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Andrew Preuss. Pastor Preuss serves at the Trinity Lutheran Church in Gutenberg, Iowa, and St. Paul Lutheran Church in McGregor, Iowa. Pastor Preuss, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Thanks for having me. Pastor Preuss, as we get started this morning, help us out with some context. Where are we in Matthew's Gospel? What do we need to know as we dig into the text today?
1: Well, we're in chapter 19, as you said. And uh, we just followed uh, Chapter 18, where Jesus has had kind of a confrontation with his disciples, who are arguing about, you know, uh, who's the greatest, and uh, and he talks about forgiveness, um, forgiving your brother, and uh, he makes it clear that the that the keys uh, for for the forgiveness of sins uh, belong to the whole church, that they're given to to all who gather in his name who uh, are to agree uh on his word he uh he has you know a little child before them um and warns that uh that any anyone who would who would cause one of these children to fall away uh it would be better for him to be cast into the into the sea with a millstone wrapped around his neck and then now what they're doing is they're they're head they're down they're going down to to uh Judea. And really he's starting to head toward Jerusalem. And it won't be till the next chapter that he you know predicts his 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 death again, uh where he uh where he really makes this clear uh you know, kind of a at a climax. And then in, in twenty one he uh he rides into Jerusalem for Holy Week. And so he's he's starting to kind of make his way to Jerusalem, although he ends up kind of in Jericho for a while and but he's in he's generally in the land of Judea now and now he is so before he was arg- he was not arguing but really uh teaching very sternly his disciples on the basics of what it means to be a christian uh, which is humility uh, forgiveness faith uh and agreement in god's word and uh and now he is he is confronted with the pharisees and what you see going on here is Jesus uh, fulfilling the law? And uh, there's a lot of questions in Matthew's Gospel, uh, and really in all the Gospels, but we really see it here where uh, Jesus' discourses for the next several chapters with the Pharisees uh, have to do with the law. And, and, and you can see in Jesus' discourse about the law, about what the law says, that he has a better understanding of the law, and he's actually, he's actually in his teaching, and of course in his example, he's fulfilling the law. And it's important for, for the reader to understand that we are witnessing Jesus, Jesus's uh, vicarious obedience to the law. Um, vicarious means that in our place, in our stead, Jesus is fulfilling. What our sinful flesh could not fulfill, and what we see here then in his confrontation with the Pharisees, is a uh, is 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 an example of him really getting to the heart of what the law requires. And he's really, he he, he is he, he, what what the legalistic sinful flesh is not able to fulfill, but thinks it can fulfill. Jesus is is truly fulfilling, and and uh, and so so then they you know they're they're going to talk about particularly marriage and we can talk more uh, as we go along what the significance of that is as far as Jesus's office as uh, as the 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 bridegroom
0: yeah yeah i think that'll be an important conversation especially to think of Jesus fulfilling all the law including the sixth commandment concerning marriage jesus <coughs> one a- not not married in the same sense that at least you and i are married pastor preuss um so what what does that mean for jesus to fulfill that commandment i think it's something we, we definitely want to talk about let's go ahead and look at the text then this is matthew chapter 19 verses 1 through 15. now when jesus had finished these sayings he went away from galilee and entered the region of judea beyond the jordan and large crowds followed him and he healed them there and pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause he answered Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. The disciples said to him, If such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, Not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. Then children were brought to him, that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people. But Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. That's the text for today, Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 through 15. So Pastor Price, as the text begins, we hear about Jesus, he finishes his fourth discourse in Matthew chapter 18, he begins moving south toward Jerusalem, he doesn't go there yet, he's on the other side of the Jordan River, we know he's going to be in Jericho in a little bit, it, there's still loud, large crowds Then there, he's healing them, and then here come the Pharisees to test Jesus, and, and the test that they lay before him is this matter of, of what's lawful concerning divorce. What? What's going on in the background here with the Pharisees? What's the test that they're laying before him with this question?
1: Well, it's similar to really all their tests. Um, many of their tests have to do with uh kind of the, the ethos and clout of Jesus, and they want to see does they want to stump him with with what seemed to be uh debated and controversial uh issues you know so we have we have the the test for example of you know what's the greatest commandment which comes later um we have the test of uh you know who, who should is it right to pay tribute to caesar and and uh we had in in chapter 17 the test of uh you know do you pay the temple tax um stuff like that and so it, it really it comes down to kind of clout you know does he really have does he really uh is he on the right side, you know, and, and, and can, he, can he really put his money where his mouth is and, and show that he understands the law? Because these are issues that obviously would have been debated and there would have been different ideas. But the way that the Pharisees would, and the scribes would argue about these things would be much more legalistic. And what I mean by that is, is uh, you know, what are, the, uh, what are the exceptions to the rules what is lawful, right? you know what is uh what can we get away with? and so you have different sort of uh, different sort of uh outward behavior kind of uh answers to it all. and this goes back to the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is not simply talking about outward behavior. he's talking about a complete he when he when he explains the law, he's talking about a complete change of mind um, about the law and uh, and about what is really truly expected of you, and that is to be like God, um, that is to turn the other cheek, that is to, to show mercy, um, to allow people to take your coat um, so that you rely only on God. And he really goes back to the beginning of who God is and what God really has established. Instead of trying to sort of give kind of um, uh, quippy, ethical, Uh, answers that really are meant to sort of satisfy people's own expectations you know so somehow they're going to give some kind of a uh, uh, you know an excuse for people to just kind of do what they want to do while also then feeling like they're like they're obeying the law and you see this today you know I we 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 talk about marriage and divorce and whenever I teach on this, you know, I always say, well, you know, the, the exception for divorce is sexual immorality or adultery, right? And uh, and then I'll say, well, then, of course, Paul mentions abandonment, you know, actually, you know, leaving when the other spouse leaves. And the question that always comes up, which is understandable, and I don't want to, you know, be insensitive to these cases, but is always, well, what about abuse, you know, and, and that is kind of while it's an understandable question it sort of reveals an underlying uh uh, mentality about the law like somehow can you explain the law to me in such a way that is going to allow me to do what i or or allow me to sort of um, justify what i have done in the past or something like that and again not to Not the uh, there. There is certainly something to say about those casuistry questions about abuse and stuff like that, um, and other things. Um, But, but this is the thing that the way that they're, the way that they are framing it, the way that they see it, it, is really a matter of of just outward ethics and and kind of like a situational ethic like what you know and really they're they're looking for excuses so that they can fulfill the law or feel like they've really fulfilled the law and Jesus Jesus is not going to go that way right he's going to go back to the beginning um he's going to go back to the beginning of creation because that's how we understand who God is and this really gets to and I, uh, maybe I'm going a little bit off of what you asked, but this really gets to uh, a very important distinction between law and gospel. the law by itself can really only tell us what God is as what he requires what he what, you know you know he's just he's he's loving right he's merciful um, you know he's good, but these things by themselves don't don't really do us any good you know they just kind of tell us god's attributes and they're sort of just do's and don'ts but the gospel tells us who god is and and the way it does that is by actually giving us the fulfillment of the law in god's mercy fulfilled by christ and so and this is something that you to get to the heart of who god is you got to go to what he does that's so 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 god is revealed his very being is revealed by what he says and by what he does, what he actually fulfills. And so Jesus is going to go back to what God did. So they want to talk about what Moses did, that Moses kind of as a, as a sort of a legislator gave them certain exceptions. And Jesus is going to go back to the beginning and say, no, let's go back to what God did. And uh, that is really the true fulfillment of the law, because the only one who really fulfills the law is god, and that's really that's the whole point of Jesus' ministry. He is God in the flesh, he is fulfilling the law, and if you want to know what the true fulfillment of the law is, then go to what God does and take refuge in that, and then follow his example um and that and that's not always going to be an easy. It, you know it's 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 not always going to be an easy it's not going to be an easy fix for your problems you know it's you're still going to have to deal with sin um in this life but if you want to know what the law is well you be prepared to not be given any real wiggle room and be forced then to have to find your refuge not in yourself but only in what Christ provides so that's you know you you could take that go you're the leader go go with their uh go go from there where you want
0: <laughs> no that's that's all really good stuff i mean the the pharisees are coming at jesus and and it's like they want to have a conversation. And of course they're testing him, right? This is not an innocent question. They they're trying to trap him here. But the way they're mm-hmm. trying to trap him is through this matter of, of what we might call I think use this word, casuistry, where we, we bring up various cases yeah. and, and say, Well, what about this, Jesus? Or what about this? And and asking, yep. you know, looking for one of those answers that we got you there, Jesus. And, and as, as you were saying, Jesus isn't going to play that game. And, and the way that he's not going to play that game is he's going to tell the Pharisees, you are starting at the wrong spot. And, and so yep. take us into to Jesus' answer then, Pastor Preuss. I think you've already started to, to bring this out. But, but how does Jesus begin to, to tell Pharisees, look, you guys aren't even starting in the right Bible verse here?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, Jesus teaches something very, uh, very important about the law. Now, when we talk about the law, we we need to make a couple distinctions um, in our Lutheran confessions, in the Formula of Concord, uh, uh, on Article is it Article Four that talks about law and gospel or Article Five? I get good works and law and gospel mixed up. The,
0: in the formula, <laughs> it's Article Five that talks about law and gospel. Article
1: Five, yeah. Then Article Six is third use of the law. Anyway, so. They make this distinction between sort of the gospel in its broad sense and the gospel in its narrow sense, and we could speak the same way of the law. The law has uh, the, the the law is understood in its broad sense, which is really the, all the whole teaching of the Old Testament, um, and so the giving of the Ten Commandments, but then all of the other instructions that go along with that, which would in many ways include promises, you know, and, and uh, uh, promises that had not been fulfilled yet, but would be fulfilled, um, but would be considered gospel promises. And so when we talk about, you know, the, uh, the fulfillment of the law, you know, Jesus is, Jesus is getting at, uh, you know, what he, – he's really, he's really showing what the law as it is given – is meant to do so we we can talk about the essence of the law which is uh talked about in the formula of concord being just simply the immutable will of god and uh and that's something that the christian in his new man is striving after but then we can talk about the law as it is given and as it is revealed and that is that is uh is is really on mount sinai um that it is given in order to expose the sin, as Moses says uh, in uh, in Deuteronomy he says to the uh, to the priests and really to the people, this book, this law is a testimony against you and so Paul brings this out really well in his epistles that you know the law shows uh, our sin it shows God's wrath against our sin and so when Jesus says that that Moses gave this because of the hardness of their hearts. It really is a testimony it's like what Moses says, it's a testimony against them and it shows sort of how the law operates in its uh kind of civil sense that the that that in society. The law can't make you better. It's just, it's impossible to make you better. The proper understanding of the law is going to show you how miserable you are and how much you need the righteousness that God provides. But when the law has its function as, you know, in this world, it is only, it can only deal with outward order and structure. And so in in political theory, we might understand this as sort of the uh, uh, the popular law, um, that is the law as it is applied in society, and because of the nature of the law and 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 and, and our sinful nature, the law as when the law is being used for outward order and to pr- to promote outward good, because the law can make you better as far as outward outwardly, right? It can teach you good habits. It can, you know, keep you in line and stuff like that. But it can't. Change the heart, right? It, the only thing the law does with the heart is that it exposes the sin of the heart. Um, and so Jesus is really showing how the law, as it is applied for order, is necessarily going to fall short because of the weakness uh, of the sinful flesh. And so in popular law, you simply, you know, if you are the legislator or the judge or whatever, and you were applying the law, you kind of have to be pragmatic. You know, so for example, um, if we were truly just, you know, in carrying out God's law, we would put adulterers and fornicators in jail at the very least, you know, that's, uh, but if we did that, uh, um, most of our even lawmakers would be put in jail, right? (laughs) So, so, you know, it, it just, you just, it's just not feasible because of, the situation that we're in. And this just is, this bears witness to the, to how the law has its limitations, um, and that the law cannot make us better, but it still serves that purpose outwardly in a civil, in a civil realm of, of curbing, uh, bad behavior and giving incentive for good behavior. And so the idea that you're going to like change people's hearts, um, by having the right laws is just not it's just a pipe dream it's not how the law works and so moses allows divorce for the same reason why our government might allow divorce today or even not punish adulterers at least not uh not uh directly uh it's because you you simply have to work with what you have that's how the law works in its civil realm in its civil sense and so if you're relying on the civil administration of the law for the righteousness that god requires it you're just you're not going to come close you might give some sort of appearance of uh, outward order and and peace which are certainly good things And and we pray for our governments to do that very thing but we also understand the limitations of the law. And so what they're doing is they're relying on this again this popular law, this uh, this application of the law by human governments. And Moses is no exception, although Moses is the best of the civil governments because he has God like telling him what to do. But even God leading Moses understands the hardness of man's hearts and that you can't just throw everyone in jail you know that's just and that's part of God's mercy actually it's part of kind of his providence that he's not just going to wipe everyone out he's patient with the wicked um and uh but but again the, the fact that God does not fully enforce his law because if he did you know as we all say we deserve temporal and eternal punishment you know we'd all be thrown in a dungeon until we're dead and then we go to hell you know that, that so so that so Jesus's point here is that that the law, as it is outwardly applied, you're dealing with sinful people, and it's necessarily going to kind of bend um, because that's just the nature of our sinful na- that's part of our sinful nature that's the result of our sinful nature and the limitations of what of the law's office toward us it, again, it can't make us better from the heart um, it can't give us a good conscience before God, and then it can only enforce good habits um, and give incentives and punish punish evil and reward good and stuff like that. And so, again, it's going to be limited.
0: Yeah, this matter of popular law, as as it is important in that keeping of order so that people aren't always killing each other or taking each other's things or or taking each other's husbands or wives, as, as the the context we have here, as important as that is, that's not going to change the heart. And Jesus wants to bring the Pharisees, as, as you said earlier, Pastor Preuss, not not just to what but who God is and, and to go back to to what he has done what he has said from the beginning not just to start with Moses and his application of that law to various cases but to go back to the beginning to what god has said and and rather than start that on this side of the break and have to interrupt you and maybe have an awkward pause i think we're going to go ahead and take our break a little bit early this morning and we'll pick up the matter of what god has said what he did from the very beginning on the other side of the break you're listening to sharper iron here on worldwide KFUO. we're gonna take a short break but we'll be right back please stick around Did you know that for over 40 years, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries with low-cost loans and resources? This is Rahema Kavuga, Synod Relations Manager of Lutheran Church Extension Fund. Because of faithful investors like you, we've been able to help church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations. To learn how you can get involved, call 800-843-8233. On the next Lamplighter Theater. I cannot help but speak of the one who loves me. Jesus? Yes. Jesus is still teaching me about his boundless love. I long to have the same love for him and for others. The Christian has to be dealt with.
1: Why? He has been talking to my parents about his religion. We kill the infidel tonight. Don't miss the next Lamplighter Theater. Saturday mornings at 11 on Worldwide KFUO.
0: With the next Law and Gospel being an open mic Friday, you may want to phone us at 1-800-730-2727 and discuss what we spoke about this week, including Thursday's coronavirus situation. Don't hesitate to call. Listen to Law and Gospel weekday mornings beginning at 930 on KFUO. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. On this Friday, March 6th, we're looking at Matthew chapter 19 verses 1 through 15 with Pastor Andrew Preuss, pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Gutenberg, Iowa, and St. Paul Lutheran Church in McGregor, Iowa. Pastor Preuss, prior to the break, we were discussing the outward use of the law, which is where the Pharisees are starting. That's the only place the Pharisees are are coming from. That's how they're going to test Jesus. But Jesus is going to change their starting point. He's going to take them back to the beginning, to what God has done. How does, how does Jesus answer, especially in verses 4 through 6, do this?
1: Yeah, Jesus says that uh, this was not so in the beginning. What Moses allowed, because of the hardness of hearts, was not so in the beginning. God created the male and female, and uh, he made them one flesh, and therefore a man shall leave. You know, he quotes the institution of marriage, goes back to the beginning. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, uh, God created them male and female. He made them one flesh. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his wife, and, and they shall be one flesh. So so this, again, is uh, gets to the beginning of what God did. And this is something, too, just to consider the obedience of Christ. We're talking about the obedience of God, not just as a man, but as, a, as, but as God as well. He's, he's obedient for us in both natures. And we can see this obedience already in creation, and it's a reflection, then, of what Jesus is accomplishing. You know, that that he is the bridegroom, and that Paul says that this this mystery of marriage is really uh, a reflection, a shadow, so to speak, of Christ and the Church. And so we see God, and when God establishes marriage, he is fulfilling his own law. And it's something that then is fulfilled for us vicariously in Christ. And so he, again, he's going back to what God did, and then he himself, as God in the flesh, is doing that at that point. So him go, So so we should understand when Jesus is referring back to the the, the beginning to, to Genesis, um, he's he's not simply refer- like quoting a Bible passage. He's not simply practicing good hermeneutics. I mean, he's certainly doing that. He's a model for us in that. But he is actually fulfilling. He's kind of... It's it's almost like he's being the creator. He's speaking again as God. You know, it's like God reiterating uh, now in the flesh, reiterating what he did. And in his obedience, in his word, he is recreating uh, what God has established, but this time anew in him. And so that's... uh, you know, has some kind of uh, uh, very spiritual uh, uh, understandings to it, which we could get more into. It, like in Ephesians five, where Paul makes that connection. But, but yeah, that's what. So he's going back to the beginning of what God did.
0: Now I know you said Pastor Price that he's not only practicing good hermeneutics here. That's not only what he's doing, but he is doing that right to go back mm-hmm. to the beginning to the institution of what God gave is the way that we should start when we want to consider things from the scriptures
1: yeah exactly exactly so um a good book if anyone's interested in kind of lutheran doctrine lutheran uh lutheran uh you know theology on uh specifically on the lord's supper and this helps us kind of understand how we interpret scripture and understand any type of article of faith uh is martin chemnitz's book on the lord's supper um, it's translated by my great uncle Jack, uh, and uh, it's it's a really it's a really good book, um, you know, just explaining the Lord's oh, Supper, and it's uh, you know, and and it's in it, in all the controversies and stuff like that. But anyway, at, at one point, you know, he's arguing, he's taking issue with the Roman Catholics who are sort of wanting to define the Lord's Supper according to, you know, how it relates to the to the Levitical priesthood and stuff like that, and the sacrifices. And he's saying, no, to understand the Lord's Supper, we don't go to the Passover or we don't go to the office of the Levitical priest. We don't go, we don't even go to John 6, although John 6 gives us insight into it. The first place that we go, that John 6 being where Jesus says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. Um, and while, while these things can have some instruction on, along the way, the place that we go to determine what the Lord's Supper is, is the institution. And the same is true with baptism. We go to the institution. uh, We don't just go to the examples. And a lot of these, you know, people who deny the baptism saved are going to try to go to some examples in Acts and try to say, oh, well, they're believer baptisms, whatever that means. And, you know, it's the same kind of thing with the ministry. We don't, in order to understand what the ministry is and who ministers are, um, and what their job is, we don't go, we don't start with the examples that we find in Acts um, or maybe little allusions that we find in in the epistles. We can go to those, uh, but we need to start with what Christ first gave, what He first instituted, and uh, and then we can really define what it is uh, and have an understanding of what it is. Um, and then you know, and then go from there. And so Jesus teaches us this, and 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 Kenitz points to the example of in Matthew 19, where Jesus goes to the institution of marriage to understand what marriage is, and that is a good hermeneutical principle. Hermeneutics is simply, you know, reading, you know, how we or biblical hermeneutics is how we read scriptures and interpret script, scripture and understand the scriptures, and so we again we go back to the institution and uh and then we go from there
0: right and so that's that's what jesus does here now now pastor price it's it's hard to read a text like this without without thinking about the the great distance our modern society has fallen from what jesus reveals to us here concerning god's institution for marriage, and so I, I think we need to spend at least a little bit of time talking in terms of just what what we see out in the world, and what Jesus puts forward here as what God gave from the beginning, and and maybe a, a place to start is as I was reflecting upon this earlier, and I don't know if you've ever heard this, but I, I've heard it said that you know Jesus doesn't actually say anything about homosexuality. Uh, Jesus yeah. doesn't actually say anything about polygamy. And I mean I'm I'm looking at what Jesus says right here and I think, well, gosh, this this sure seems to talk about that. Pastor Price, are we are we right to look at these words of Jesus as foundational for such issues like that? And if so, how how does what does Jesus' words have to say?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Jesus makes it clear that it's a man and a woman, and really one man and one woman, and they're made the two are made one flesh. Um, that is as clear as you can get. Now, Jesus is not giving specific condemnations of particular aberrations from God's institution. Um, He's obviously going after the the, the present issue at hand, which is, you know, divorce. Uh, But really, he's speaking very specifically, positively, we should say, about what God actually did and instituted and And uh, while it's necessary to then apply this to error and then reject the error, we don't start by like and this is true with every article of faith we don't We don't start with our condemnations, um, with uh, what, the things that we reject. We start with what is true, with what it is. And then from there uh we we apply it to the error that is around us and reject the things that are around us so you know jesus is just because jesus is not listing all of the condemnations and the applications of this uh, does not mean that he is ignoring these things he's very clear that marriage is between one man and one woman and they are to be the two are to be one flesh and that's what god established so when people say that jesus doesn't speak against homosexuality first of all they are totally missing the point in 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 matthew 19 about what jesus teaches about marriage um they're also totally missing the point of uh, of the gospel of the uh the reflection that marriage uh, uh has or the shadow that marriage is of uh of the unity between christ and the church which is a the, you know a, a uh which is not a um, a divisive or uh, kind of uh, diversified sort of thing that we do what we want with, but is is a unity between Christ and His Church. There also, the other thing is, Christ's apostles very very clearly condemn homosexuality, and as well as the the Old Testament does as well. Um, so it's just it's just ridiculous when people do that. They're trying to separate Christ from the rest of Scripture. Uh, both from the the law that he came to fulfill, as well as from the apostles whom he sent out to teach everything that he commanded them, so I mean when people say that, they are talking about a different jesus they 're creating Jesus in their own image, and uh they are not- inter- they they're they're really making the same blunder as the Pharisees, except in a more licentious way. Where they're not interested in actually learning who God is, they are interested more in justifying their own opinions and using the law to kind of bend its way to, because of the hardness of their hearts to sort of allow an outward um, you know uh, an outward lifestyle that they think is okay.
0: I, I really appreciate what you said about that we don't we don't start with our condemnation of what's wrong but we start with what is true and we confess that and then from there the errors become apparent and i think that's such just it's a wonderful reminder it's it's what i try to do when i teach the 10 commandments because almost all of the 10 commandments other than the 3rd and the 4th say you shall not and and it's yeah. very easy to see that as as more, and the way that our sinful flesh might see this, maybe this is the devil's temptation, right? It's God's keeping something away from you. He doesn't want you to have fun, those, those types of things. But that's, that's not it at all. Each of the commandments has a good thing that God is giving and he's protecting. And And when it comes to the sixth commandment, which which is the, the commandment issue here, that good thing is marriage. This is a wonderful gift. And And the Pharisees and the scribes who who've come to Jesus here are starting with, the, the condemnation they're they're starting with the premise of divorce, and Jesus pulls them back from that and says no let 's start with what God has given start with with marriage and 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 maybe maybe that's that's one of the things that that if if we would recall that still today that some of the the heartbreaking situations that exist in this world, these aberrations from the sixth commandment, if we would go back to the good thing that God has given that that he unites a man and a woman. For the rest of their lives in this precious gift of marriage and he protects it with the sixth commandment if we go back to the good thing I, mm-hmm. I wonder if that if that wouldn't just solve so many issues for us still today
1: yeah yeah and and one other thing to, to point out and you you alluded to this earlier is that jesus is not physically married um and that's that's very significant on two accounts one is that he is the bridegroom uh for the church um and so his true marriage is really a spiritual marriage for the the church to be united to him in one body um but the other thing too that is that it shows him as 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 totally impartial um one of the things that uh you know when i preach about marriage and i preach about the gift of children and how we shouldn't despise that and and uh chase after fancy careers um by means of limiting our uh, the, the amount of children that we have you know cuz it's really just It's just materialism Um, that I recognize that I'm in a position where I'm married and I have, you know, a bunch of kids. And so people might think, oh, well, he's just, you know, he's just uh, tooting his own horn or something. And they shouldn't think that. But, you know, perhaps they might. But Jesus is totally impartial. Like he's totally uh, he doesn't he's not married. And so and, and but this also shows this is important for everyone who is not married who is single, who can then d- devote their lives not simply to being successful and shooting for the stars and following their dreams, but devoting themselves to the Lord and to, uh, to, to his gospel um, in the freedom that they have by not being married and not being tied down, so to speak. And it shows that when you defend marriage, you are fulfilling the Sixth Commandment. Whether you're married or not, the Sixth Commandment does not just apply to people who are married. It applies to all people to uphold his institution, to encourage those who are married to be faithful in what God has given them to do, and to see above all to see in marriage this shadow of Christ and his church, and to delight in that. Um, at the end of the day, what what God desires from us is to hear his word and to adore it and to 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 uh, to rejoice in the truth as what what love love does. So again, you know, for those who are not married, who think, oh, well, what, how is this relevant to me? Well, oh, it's very relevant, just as it was relevant to Christ, you know, who was not himself married.
0: Bringing up the matter, those who are not married, this is still relevant. It it seems that, that the disciples' minds go to the matter of, of being single, those who are not married. In verse 10, having heard this conversation between Jesus and the Pharisees, Jesus speaking of you know, going back to the beginning of what marriage actually is. the The disciples recognize this as a as a hard teaching. It would seem,s and, and they they say to Jesus, "Well, if if that's the case, then maybe we shouldn't get married." Now, Pastor, please yeah. take us into that question of the disciples, and then how Jesus responds.
1: Yeah, a good transition. Yeah, that's a so yeah. So they're they're basically they're they're still thinking according to the law, and they're thinking, "Well, this is just this seems." you know Jesus has really shown them that the law cannot be fulfilled by their own sinful nature um by their own maneuverings and their own kind of situational ethics and stuff like that and so they ask well what then who can be married who can do that it's sort of like when Jesus says it's um, that it's, it's it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to get to heaven they're like well who can be saved you know and with with man it's impossible with god all things are possible and so Jesus then does get into a bit of casuistry with them and he talks about eunuchs now eunuchs would be those who are servants in the uh in uh, usually servants in the uh, to kings um and to certain dignitaries and usually they would be uh men who are uh who are castrated so that they do not um Breed you know so they don 't procreate, I should say, um, but I don't think necessarily that was the case it could, but it would just be people who devoted their lives um, not to the estate of marriage but to maybe other homes or other you know high noble um, positions and uh, so 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 Jesus then goes into kind of different types of eunuchs so some are made are eunuchs from birth, so perhaps those who are just you know not able ever to be married um uh you know maybe it's someone who is has a certain condition that they have that just prevents them from being able to be married uh, and uh, some people are are made eunuchs uh and some people are made eunuchs for the kingdom of God uh and and that's kind of a <laughs> that's one that you think like oh so people castrate themselves so that they can just devote themselves to the Lord i don't I don't think that that's what Jesus is really endorsing. um what i what what comes to mind for me is Paul's discussion, I believe in first Corinthians seven, where he talks about you know being celibate. And he talks about the estate of marriage being a blessed thing, and that the people should get married if if they have the desire and it's better to 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 marry than to burn in lust. But he said, you know, if you don't need to be married, then actually you would be even happier devoting yourself to the Lord. And so, again, this shows, you know, especially with Christ fulfilling marriage and showing the unity of, of the state of marriage to the uh, it, its gospel fulfillment and reflection in, in, in Christ, what Christ giving himself up for his church and taking away her sins and uniting her to himself in one body. This, again, gets to, you know, if you're not married, uh, you know, you can... You, you you you, your life is not without purpose you know and so jesus says you know let him who can receive this receive it right you know that this is maybe so so and i and and i believe what he's getting at there is this is not for everyone um just like marriage isn't for everyone being a eunuch or being just one who is totally devoted to the church um and uh and to the word of god and to you know mercy for for other christians um, without having a family um, is not is it, a gift, you know, and it's not it's not given to everyone, and so we so Jesus again does not exclude anyone. At the end, he kind of he gets uh, delves into a little bit of casuistry just to make the point that that this is something that this is all a gift from God, and your ability to actually truly honor your spouse, love your spouse, and care for your home is uh, while we can have parenting books and marriage books that give good advice and those aren't necessarily bad things, uh, really flesh and blood cannot give to us the the strength, the true strength to walk in the law. Of course, we're never going to fulfill the law perfectly in this life because we have the sinful nature, but through faith in Christ, that faith which is given to us by God, we are given the strength both, you know and and given you know God works within us both to will and to do for His good pleasure. And so again, Jesus gets back to the passiveness of faith when he says, "Let those receive this that that faith receives the good things from God and primarily receives the kingdom of God and its righteousness in Christ and the forgiveness of sins, and from there then receives the strength to walk in the ways and the vocations and the duties that God has called you to do, whether that's in the marital estate or that is leading a single life, devoting yourself to God, um, it's all a gift from God. And so you see how Jesus is really bringing them to, putting them, he's kind of reorienting them to a position of receiving rather than trying to scheme and figure out how they're going to justify themselves and make things work. Uh, so, so it really—I mean—hidden behind all this is really a, a key distinction between law and gospel. In other words, between what we try to do with our works and what Jesus, what God in the flesh, actually does um, by what He says and 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 does and accomplishes.
0: So, so Jesus is is reorienting His disciples, whose question perhaps comes from—even even though it's a different question than the Pharisees ask—it's—it's it's coming from that same casuistry standpoint that well if so if we can't do that maybe we can do this and Jesus says no in in whichever vocation whether whether you are, are married or whether you are, are single
1: receive mm-hmm. receive
0: these things as God's gifts and so he's he's reorienting yeah. his disciples toward that that right understanding of law and gospel.
1: Exactly. That's right. Yep.
0: So, so the text then continues, and and I, I just I love how how this comes together, right? Because he's just talked about marriage, and then who comes to him but the fruit of marriage, children. And and there's only three verses here, but they're they're beautiful. Take us into to Jesus' interaction with the children, with his disciples in verses thirteen through fifteen.
1: Yeah. So his disciples. So again, now he has another confrontation with his disciples, and it got, it goes back to the previous chapter, you know. Uh, where there's this this ghostfulness and uh, he you know Jesus set the child before them and talks about this child being the greatest in the kingdom of heaven um, because the child is the child simply receives the child is dependent upon his parents um, the child is uh is vulnerable is uh and and again it gets to that that idea of receiving this as a gift from God and so then now he's got to rebuke his disciples again because they're not letting the kids come to him, and it's it's really kind of funny how there's nothing ever really changes. Um, I think that uh, I'm very fortunate in in my congregation. Uh, there is uh, overall, I think, a very good attitude of uh, kind of screaming kids, and uh, I think parents also kind of know when to take the kids out. Usually, you know, when they're getting really loud, you know, you want to be considerate to other people who are patiently uh, trying to listen. But, but at the same time, I think I'm very thankful for the way that the understanding spirit that is among the people in our current, in my congregations, uh, that, uh, we love that we're so happy to hear these voices, you know, that these kids are actually here. And it shows that God's word, word is at work, you know, in, in, in the young and that they're learning. And, uh, but it is interesting though, how are we all are by nature, you know, just annoyed by kids <laughs> because they kind of get sort of annoying, you know, during the break I'm in my car right now so that I have some peace and quiet to talk to you. But during the break, I ran inside to get some coffee or something like that. And, and, uh, the kids are just running around and screaming and having fun and stuff. And, you know, it's, it, my mom calls it happy chaos. And, um, and you know this—the the, the culture that we live in—and this is some. This is maybe a hard pill to swallow for a lot of conservative uh, Christians. Um, the it, it is a culture not just of death, but a culture of choice. A culture of like I'm going to, you know, the idea of planning things out is 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 looked at as trying to control the outcome rather than preparing to receive what God gives. And so you have this kind of subtle. And not so subtle despisal despising of children of the gift of children, and uh, Jesus is again. This is part of him fulfilling the sixth commandment. Is also then as it is connected with the fourth commandment. He also then blesses the fruit of marriage, and uh, receives the children, and uh, and and teaches us that again, being a Christian is not about sitting there and everything being totally peace and quiet all the time, and everything just going our way um and uh, you know while we want to provide a reverent and peaceful worship space and stuff like that and it's good to as jesus jesus himself would go away to a desolate place to pray and those are good things to do at the same time god calls you to vocations that often include changing diapers um and or just putting up with someone else's loud kids or helping you know was maybe helping hold a baby or something like, you know, those, the, you being a Christian is not this ascetic kind of uh, uh, lifestyle, uh, uh, you know, acidic lifestyle where we just like, you know, divorce ourselves from society and, and just live in a monastery or something like that. Um, or in a big house or something, you know, uh, in our, on our pension so that we're divorced from everyone else. Um, no, we are to live in the chaos, But understand it as happy chaos, because these are blessings from God, and these are children who need to hear the gospel and need to be taught about Jesus and about what God has done for them from the beginning and at the fullness of time. And it's uh, so again, he's bringing us down to earth, and he's taking us away from our scholastic kind of highfalutin theories on how we are going to justify ourselves and what we're already doing. And he's saying, no, go back to the beginning. Now this is what God has established. Yes, it's chaotic because of the sinful flesh um, but uh but receive it receive it receive all good all good gifts with thanksgiving and uh live this life, which is dirty and you know smelly and uh and annoying and chaotic, but you have peace, not by controlling the outcome and making sure that you have the best career and the best house and the best environment for your that you think you need but by receiving what God has given and uh, living in those vocations, whether you're married or single or whether you have children or not, whether God gives you children or God doesn't give you children. It's his choice, and he's the one who gives and takes away, and it's all by his grace. And to live in that is to have peace, to live in that knowing that the God who justifies you by the blood of his Son and forgives you all your sins, The God who gives you all your duties and your trials, and He's going to see you through all of them. That's what it means to have peace, which passes all understanding.
0: Peace, peace within that happy chaos. Pastor Andrew Preuss is the pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Gutenberg, Iowa, and St. Paul Lutheran Church in McGregor, Iowa, helping us this morning with Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 through 15. Pastor Preuss, thanks for being with us this morning. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron. Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again next week.